Well, good morning. Good to have you out on this nice winter morning. <laughs> Had a taste of spring for a couple of days and snapped back to reality, right? Let me pray as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you asking for your great mercy, praising you for that which is demonstrated in our lives by the giving of Christ. We ask for mercy now as we handle your most holy word, consider eternal truths, and doing so in the framework of a redeemed sinner. We pray that your spirit would superintend, give us what you would have, overcome our deficiencies of presentation and acceptance, and give uh, us great strength to render to you service that is due your name. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you. Uh, Having been here for three weeks, we had a snowstorm. And then I want to thank Mr. Kirk for filling in for me. We took a trip to Pennsylvania to visit my sister and brother there. You think this is cold? Two mornings I went out for coffee and the temperature was in single digits. I stayed in my car and stayed in the coffee shop (laughs) and drank a lot of hot coffee. Uh, Then last week we had the missions conference. Back in around 1540, John Calvin was expelled from his pulpit, had to go to Strasbourg. He was there about three years. When he came back, he got in the pulpit and picked up exactly where they left off when he left three years ago. I've only been going three weeks. Where do we pick up today? Do you remember? We're going to Luke chapter 2. We're looking at the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as given to us by the Apostle Luke. Let me ask you a question uh, as we begin. We're obviously looking at the birth of Jesus Christ, and we're past Christmas. There is at least one denomination I know of where the pastors know what they're going to preach on for the whole year. (laughs) They would not be preaching on this in February. But we are, we're going to look at this. Let me ask you, when's the first time you heard what's called the Christmas story? Do you remember? No? Long time ago. Okay. As a child, I'm sure. Absolutely. I don't know how old I was either. Uh, But for most of us, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? Why isn't this old? Why isn't this passe? Why can we still look at this with fresh eyes today? None of us are in school anymore, are we? (laughs) None of us are youngsters. Well, some of you are, relatively speaking. Why is this still vibrant, meaningful? See, I'm trying, I thought of this while I was gone, see. What do I want these people to know from the book of Luke when we get back? I don't want you just to know facts about the birth of Christ and his life. I want you to recall what all of this is about. I'm going to give you uh, something to hang that on in just a minute. 
But why? This is important. These are words of eternal life about the eternal Savior. I don't want to get down and uh, morbid, but since the time we've been together, I think there have been four deaths in our congregation. Does that make you think soberly? I hope it does. One of them was dear Miss Alma, who sat over in this direction in this class. Of course, we know Dr. McGoldrick. One of them was one of our session members, Elder Al Wills. Another was a newly minted member of our church. They hadn't been here real long, Beverly Birch. You don't rank those, do you? Oh, we start with Dr. McGoldrick and work down. No, you go this way. These were four eternal, immortal souls that graced us with their presence. What does all this mean? Well, that's part of the perspective I want to look at. On my trip to Pennsylvania, again, I'm not being morbid. I'm remembering good times. I went to visit the grave site of my mother and my father. And we went about 60 miles further away and in the snow looked for the grave stones of my dad's parents. We were lost, couldn't find them, <laughs> trudging around in the snow. I remember great things about them, wonderful things that blessed my soul. We weren't down in morbidity here. We were looking to remember the good things, to remember what mom and dad, what we called mammy and pappy, did for us when we were growing up. And that's what we want to look at here, eternal values. And as we look at the life of Christ throughout the Gospel of Luke, where I left off was in chapter two of this story. We went through verses one through six, and I didn't finish up with verse seven, which is where I'll start today before we get into the bigger picture of eight through 20. But I don't want to leave off the significance of what we're looking at here. Verse seven, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Well, that's wonderful. I think I left off telling you, I remember my father-in-law used to sing that hymn or spiritual song, whichever it is, out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe. This Savior came. Jesus, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, took a leap down, if you will, when he was born. What low prospects his mother had. She was delivering him in a stable where the aroma of animals' wet hay permeated where there wasn't the OBGYN doctor or a pediatrician nearby. What prospects? This is the one being born here who said in the oldest book of the scripture, the book of Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? He created all of this, all that we see, us, 
He created it. He's a different being. And yet he came to be born in this situation. I want to take you to the book of Colossians before I leave this portion of, uh, of Luke. Read you beginning in chapter 1, verse 15. Here's where he came from. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Do you hear that? By him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the, cro of the cross. This is the one that was born into this situation in Bethlehem. Think of that, how far he has come down to be the sacrifice for us. This description of his of the scripture about him and his work. He has come to be born in the flesh. This is the beginning of that, what we call infinite condescension. He condescended to come down and live among us, among sinners. And we'll see some of the accompanying, accompanying message of his coming that highlights this, that gives us this great contrast between what the God of heaven is doing in coming to earth. Well, I don't need to tell you, especially if you work in the world at all, you move about in the world, uh, the hearts that did not receive Jesus when he was born are still among us. There are many who will not receive this message that God came in the flesh to do what we could not do, have our sins forgiven and walk into eternal life. He came in the flesh. It's not a great receptive message. If you don't believe me, ask uh, Ken Safford, ask Emil Henning how much success they directly have when they go down to Main Street week after week. It would be discouraging if it were not for the fact that we're only told to go in Matthew 28, to go, the Great Commission. We're not called to save. You remember when Noah built the ark? How many people got on board? Eight. How many people perished? Everyone else. We're called to go give the message. Not many will hear this that we're looking at today with welcome hearts. They don't want to hear this message today any more than they did there. But we want to get a glimpse at this glorious Jesus as believers. We want to see, we want to remember this. We want to build our faith on this, the truth that Jesus did all of this. Look what he, uh, there are wonderful things. Well, let me take you another place before we get down to this. Go to Matthew chapter 17. If you have any knowledge of the gospel of Matthew, you know where I'm going. 
Jesus is giving a picture of his glory in heaven up close and personal to three of his disciples. And if you go on to read the Gospel of Matthew, this, you understand, is not real far away from the time he's going to be on the cross. That he takes them up on a mountain. Let me read to you. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the clouds said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. And Jesus came in, uh, came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. He is giving this picture of the transfiguration of who he is in heaven in his godly persona especially to people like Peter before he goes to the cross because their idea of the Messiah is nothing like his presentation of himself as the Messiah dying on the cross isn't it something he gives them a picture why does he particularly point out Moses and Elijah what do they represent? The law and Elijah, the prophets. Those were incorporated into Jesus Christ. He was the fulfillment of the scripture. He was everything that Moses and Elijah did. He is telling them that he is, this is going to be part of what takes place when he dies on the cross. There's going to be glory there that they don't even understand. And so he gives them a picture of it before he goes to the cross. By his death, this glory is going to come. You know, you can imagine how mind-numbing that must have been. Really? This is the way? They weren't listening all the time. He said, you know, you take a seed out and you bury it if you want fruit. You know, you put it in the ground. He is transfigured before their eyes. Let me run back to, you don't have to turn there, but earlier in Matthew chapter three, verse 17, we read these words. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What a stamp of approval that was when Jesus took him up there and showed him these things. Are you listening? The father has sent me for this purpose. He's telling you that, you know, I'm the way. Listen, look, see. Well, that's what I would say to you and to, to me. <laughs> Listen, look, see. Do we see Jesus? 
do we really see Jesus? It's not just a, a, a passing thing. The depth of the life of our Savior is incomprehensible. Think of his humiliation that follows this uh, idea of the transfiguration or even before that. Uh, think of it connected to what we're looking at here in Luke. He came in the flesh to be born of a woman, to go through all the things that are involved in growing up as a child and yet without sin. If my mother were alive, she could probably tell you I didn't make it a week before I was sinning. I was probably crying to get something that I wanted and sometimes that I really didn't even need, but I was going to cry till somebody came and picked me up. They tell the stories of having to take me out in the car for a ride to get me to shut up. I guess the movement of the vehicle. Obviously, I didn't need anything because I fell asleep in the car ride. Sin already present. If you go down to the, uh, well, you if you work with your own children or in the nursery, have you ever had to teach any of them how to lie? <laughs> you know, oh, I didn't take that. My brother did it. You know, you know how they are. You know how you were, right? I swear I didn't do it, Mom. I used to do this kiddingly with regard to my sister. There were three of us boys and her. And we would off, I would often say, you know, Joyce did that, Mom. I saw her. <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily true. We're like that. We're sinners. He came and went through all of that upbringing and yet without sin. Think of that. He who knew no sin, was baptized. What is baptism? It's a sign and seal of the covenant of what's taking place in redemption. He went through that. He went immediately, I guess it's chapter four maybe of Matthew, into the wilderness to be tempted in an intense way, face to face with Satan, totally unlike what we do, or at least stronger than what we put up with and yet without sin. What humiliation, you know, what right does Satan have to accuse Jesus? None whatsoever. He did that for us. This great thing of his coming to be born had to be told to the disciples and hopefully they glimpsed here and saw some of it, were able to comprehend what was going on. Uh, it's a, almost a delightful time, isn't it? Peter, good old Peter, say, listen, I got an idea. Let's me, let uh, me put up three uh, edifices here for you and Moses and Elijah. Uh, he just did not understand, but he had some comprehension of the great thing that was going on here. I don't think any of you have had a picture of Jesus like the transfiguration, but how does your relationship with God, do you ever develop this kind of closeness where you get above the fray and you feel the presence of God, you know, that's available to us through the Holy Spirit. It's one of the reasons some people go off for a few days just to have a religious retreat. Some people by themselves, some other maybe with a ladies group or a men's group. This is an opportunity to get to know the Savior better. Boy, what an opportunity these three, three disciples had. And yet they still did not understand completely. 
and I don't think we do, and that's hopefully what we see some of today. All that Jesus left behind to be born in the flesh. What a savior. <laughs> what, just think of this great, it's with, I can't, I don't have words, do I? <laughs> you can tell. What he gave up to do what he did for us. Moving past that, look at the next portion of our scripture here in Luke chapter two. Let me read for you quickly verses eight to 20. Here we have the picture of the shepherds and the angels. Another particular story in Luke that you don't find uh, in this extent in the other gospels. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for by help, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Remember, we just read verse seven. It's exactly what took place. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Excuse me. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered that, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and his, as it had been told them. It's very interesting. You know, of course, if you've been listening last few months to the preaching here of the social status of shepherds, it is not high. You go all the way back to the uh, book of Genesis when the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. Moses asked for a place, let them go out to Goshen. They're shepherds. We know you Egyptians don't want them around. And Pharaoh relented and gave them that portion. They don't want anything to do with shepherds. The shepherds are here out in the field doing their work. And you can study this more deeply. Probably, uh, likely they were keeping some of the sheep near the place of sacrifice that was coming up. Whatever the case was, they were in the area doing their menial task. This is, this is another picture of the glory of our God that he would send angels to these low-life people on the, on the uh, looking at the level of occupation, place in society and speak to them these words. Jesus perhaps was born at night. I don't know, but that's when the angels came, isn't it? The shepherds hear of this great event. 
You know, God hasn't come necessarily to the self-sufficient. There are a lot of people that don't think they know they need God. Many of the responses to those who witness, especially like downtown Greenville, is, well, I've done the best I can. I anticipate I'll be in heaven. It's basically being self-sufficient, self-righteous. I'm okay. They're not willing to admit, you know, you're right. I need forgiveness of sins. These were not self-sufficient people here, but they were out doing what they were to do, what they were hired to do. They are outcasts, if you will. Do you ever stop and talk to somebody like that about Jesus? I can't tell you how many opportunities will arise for you. <laughs> Just today, I was dressed about like this. I went through a drive through place I get coffee uh, virtually every day. Went to two places today. And at each place, the person waiting on me said, oh, one of them figured where I was going. You going to church? Said, yes, I am. Would you pray for me? I said, yes, I will. Went to the other place. The lady said, oh, you're nicely done up today. You going somewhere? I said, I'm on my way to, on my way to church. Would you pray for me? I don't know either one of these ladies personally, but they know that they are not self-sufficient. They've at least discovered that much and asked for prayer. I'm in line there. I didn't, I didn't have the audacity to hold things up and get in a more detailed conversation. But before I left the premises, I prayed each time for each of them. They know they're not self-sufficient. I believe these shepherds knew that too. I have a number of relatives uh, of a wider scope, not my immediate family, uh, but cousins and such don't believe they have any need of the Savior. Uh, been with them, and, and, and you learn this over the years. Sometimes people are willing to uh, let you lead in prayer before a meal together or something, but they don't have the same idea of what they need. I think these folks realized what they need. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. We've seen this repeatedly in Luke, haven't we? A messenger from God appears. What's the reaction? It's not, hey, buddy, long time no see. It's quaking in your boots, filled with fear. You see the distance between God and us. You again see in these mere messengers of God a spark of holiness that causes these shepherds to be in fear. What a, what a picture this is. What a paradox. You remember we started our study here at Luke and I pointed out a number of paradoxes in the gospel. Here's another one. These glorious messengers from God come to insignificant people with a message of eternal life. Man, how did you come to know Jesus Christ? Who told you about the Savior? What things worked, wove in and through your life to bring you to a place where you needed and knew you needed to repent and confess your sins. God works in marvelous ways. To get to, I'm from Pennsylvania, that's where I grew up. I came to know Jesus back there. 
<laughs> and end up down here. What came into your life, when and where? How was this magnificent message given to you and to me? Well, their reaction is they're afraid. Verses 10 through 12, they begin to get this message. Well, they're, they're first of all assured, fear not. It wasn't casual like that. I can't imagine the voice the angels used, but they said, fear not. They had to reassure them. Fear not. Here's why. We have a message for you. For behold, verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. That was the message they were given. This wasn't a casual message. This is a proclamation. Who's delivering this message? Who? Angels. Messengers of God. If you were to do an isolated study in your Bible study, beginning back in Genesis See how often this happens. An angel appears, and sometimes in the Old Testament, it's called an angel of the Lord. We have manifestations of Jesus in his pre-incarnate state in some cases. This is a messenger from on high. This is a proclamation. This isn't just a word to get through the day today. This isn't the power of positive thinking or anything like that. This is a proclamation from God on high. This is great news. This is the message of the Messiah and it is brought to the shepherds. Now, if Jesus wasn't as the savior living in a state of condescension, you know, if he was a big CEO, he would have stood up and said, oh, come on, get real. Have you never heard of social media? You are not gonna go out there and talk to these shepherds in the field among these animals. You're going to get on the TV. You're going to get on the internet and you're going to blast this everywhere, this story. But not our savior, not our God. He condescends to give this message to the shepherds. What hope do we have? We have great hope. I know we probably think we walk in a higher level than the shepherds did. We have great hope. He condescends to come to these people with a great proclamation. Notice what he says here. <laughs> Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What a, what a, three titles for Jesus. He's a Savior. He is Christ. He is the Lord. Make note of that. This this savior is, it's mind boggling. And take that and go back and think about it. These titles here given to him. Perhaps you remember later in the book of Acts, we read this where the disciples, the apostles are proclaiming the word of God. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus Christ, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. He is not only the Messiah, he is Lord and Christ. 
No wonder that message resonated with power when the apostles were preaching it in the book of Acts. Who is this? He's a savior. He is Christ, the title for Messiah. This is what the Jews were looking for. I trust that the shepherds were too. But he is beyond Messiah. That position is the anointed one. He is Lord. He is sovereign deity. He is God. He is not like us, friends. He is not a higher version of us. This is God on high. He is altogether different than us. He has come. No wonder in many other places he's described as wonderful savior and many other great titles. And then there's a sign that's gonna be given, verse 12. This will be the sign. It's just what was said in verse seven. He will be a baby here. He'll be wrapped in swaddling cloths. He'll be lying in a manger. Think how gracious God was. He didn't just leave them. <laughs> okay, uh, Jesus is over there somewhere. Go find him. No, they were given direct description of who Jesus was and where that he could be found. He's a baby. Be wrapped in these particular clothes. He won't have on these uh, <laughs> uh, headbands showing he's a boy or anything like that. He'll be here in a manger with the animals. This proclamation of his person here, who he is, where you can find him. What's the reaction to all this in verses 13 and 14? Suddenly, now look who the reaction comes from. This isn't the shepherds. <laughs> it, we'll see something about the shepherds. This is the angels who are delivering the message plus others. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased, with whom he is pleased. This multitude of angels, this is a heavenly choir who is attending this message here. God is coming to be among sinners and all this multitude of angels is coming to sing about this, to proclaim it to these in the presence of these shepherds. Can you imagine listening to them call this out? If they didn't quake when the one angel came, they surely were when this host of angels came and proclaimed this. Wow, wow. And oh, how they hear. We'll see that in a minute. You know, it, it would be fitting to call this an army, this multitude of angels. It's the same word in the Greek that you would use to describe an army. There was a great many of them. They had come, another word, a military term used in 1 Samuel, exactly like this word means host. There were a lot of them. Why? God is making a proclamation about his son for all the world to hear. And they have come to announce this. What is it they're announcing? What is it there in verse 14? What are they announcing? Peace to those who he is Peace, peace. Now he wasn't, this isn't a proclamation on the steps of the UN. This is the peace 
that unrepentant sinners need with God. They've come to announce everything that you know from the Old Testament, from the prophets, from the historical records that was given before the gospel. All of that that you know about has leading to this point. The Messiah has come. The Prince of Peace that Isaiah talked about is here because we need this peace. We need our sins to be dealt with and that's what the angels are proclaiming. This peace that escapes us. I think I told you once before about a church I uh, used to go to. They call it extension at Bob Jones. On the weekends you went out and worked in churches a lot of times. Church I went to work in was in Spartanburg, a little country church pastored by a psychology professor from Bob Jones. And uh, I went there on Sundays. I came back one Sunday and heard about something explosive that happened Wednesday night. What are you talking about? A a lady came in uh, to the congregation sometime before that asking for prayer for her son. And he broke into a prayer meeting and asked them, cried out for them to stop praying for him. He said, I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't, I'm agitated all the time. You need to stop. That is the kind of peace to deal with that that we need. That man was under severe conviction. Man, I'd give a lot to hear somebody come into our prayer meeting Wednesday night and say that to us. I would give a lot. I'm sorry I missed that Wednesday, but you know, I'm a student, I'm just going on the weekend. But it floored me, and and what am I, 30, 40 years later, remembering that? That's what we need peace about, that conviction of our sins before a holy God. And God was dealing with that man. I don't know the follow-up. I don't know if I ever became a Christian. I do know his mother cared enough to have that church pray for him, and they cared enough for his soul to petition God repeatedly and God heard, at least in the measure of giving conviction. And with that conviction comes the need for peace that is only available in Jesus Christ. Job 38, seven says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. It's as if that is taking place here when these angels come to these poor shepherds. Well, let me go back again to their message. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with those among whom he is pleased to dwell. They came glorifying God. Notice they came down from heaven to sing to men. The message you you hear here week after week, especially in the preached messages, do, do you... Soak that up and enjoy it and appreciate it. God has condescended to speak to us. What a blessing. They spoke, I don't know the language, but they spoke with words that these poor shepherds understood. They delivered this. These good servants with a clear message and obviously some love for these poor men came at the direction of God and singing their hymn of praise, give glory to him. And these shepherds hear this. Notice, if you will, the peace, the peace they're talking about 
once again back to this is not like the Romans promised at this time, Pax Romana. They were, were talking about here the peace that far supersedes that. They're talking about something wonderful here. Uh, there's a story of a contemporary of Luke. He wrote about this. I don't know if he became a believer. He writes this. Uh, I think his name was Epictetus, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, or envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even outward peace. That was a, <laughs> a Roman philosopher, if you will, who realized that. Do we realize that? He was bringing the peace. Colossians, again, that great chapter. You remember verse 20 I read? Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. What's the rest of the verse? By the blood of his cross. That's what Jesus has come to do, and that's the message that was being given here although I've extrapolated it out a little more than is actually printed. Well, look at the shepherds in the last few minutes we have, their reaction and what takes place in verses 15 and 16. When the shepherds went away from them, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went <coughs> with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They acknowledge the Lord. They acknowledge his servants. They accept this message and believe it. And they are in obedience reacting to that message. Let's go over. These poor men, maybe they, you know, their station in life isn't great. Maybe their intellectual power wasn't great either. But they grasped the message. And it quickened them to go in obedience to proclaim this, to seek this Messiah. And they depart. Verse 16 gives a hint of their haste. They went with haste. They didn't linger. They found Mary. They went. How obedient are we? Do we listen to the message we hear here week after week or even in your own devotions? Well, let me give you two other things and we'll call it quits for today. Verses 17 and 18, you see there, they make known this message. They go out and proclaim it. Uh, they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I'm not saying you have to go downtown every Thursday night with Ken, with the uh, two or three others that go with him. But are you ready to proclaim this message? Are you ready when somebody asks you to pray for them to say, yeah, what's your need? I wish I'd had more time to do that in the line there being served. Ready to give this. Scripture says in Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. That's the elect. That's you and I. Let us say so. What a God we serve. Let us give out that good news. Well, they do that in verses 19 and 20. Look at Mary's reaction it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> if we had time, we go to John chapter two. Make a note of that. Read it for yourself. 
some of Mary's reaction. We already read about her Magnificat in the earlier verses of this book. And look at the the shepherds too (laughs) in verse 20. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, heard and seen as it had been told them. They had verification. They went and checked this out. They saw God was true to his word, that the angels told them exactly what they needed to hear. And they went and did something about it. Glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen. I hope that'll be our testimony. What will you hear today in the message that will cause you to give praise to God? You may see something right away in the uh, (coughs) introduction when you hear the call to worship. You may see his presence when we go over something from one of the confessions. You may see his presence when he gives you the eternal word and we look at one of the 10 commandments and see how far short we fall. Let's not let these things just wash right by us. Let them wash over us that we would be at least as diligent as the shepherds were to be excited about this, to go and tell others rejoicing for what we've been given. Any questions, any comments? No. Well, if I've overrun and got too uh, exuberant here or something, I promise I won't go back to Pennsylvania for a few more months. (laughs) Let me uh, pray as we go. Father God, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we're looking at a God who is uh, beyond comprehension. The uh, disciples were speechless from time to time when they saw the actual glory of the Savior. Father, may we be when we reflect on your glory, your holiness, your perfection, and yet you condescended to become like man, that we might be brought back into fellowship with you, that what our first Adam did and what is so true in our lives is overcome by the gracious blood of the saving uh, Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that we would reflect that. Give us Uh, compulsion to go like the shepherds did to share the word. We pray, Father God, that what we've read and study here today would hold us in good stead, that we would be encouraged to follow hard after you. Bless us as we continue to worship in the hour to follow. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.